what is it about religion? What is it about gods that we seek for something better, something higher, something greater? And which gods make the most sense for the most people? What, which god wins? And why is religion a useful tool in society? Or is it harmful? Which side wins? That's what I want to get into today. So without further ado, hit that intro. Welcome back to the Gnostic Informant, and you are about to attain true Gnosis. And today, Derek Lambert from Myth Vision is joining me in this discussion. I want to open up the chat and read people's comments and sort of just do an open engagement discussion thing and, uh, you know, talk to some people about their thoughts. Because I, I'm not trying to be biased. I'm trying to get all opinions and hear everyone out here. Mm -hmm. and actually i want to start with you derek i want to start with you about something i want to ask you about do you because th- I've, I've been this is what i've been coming to a conclusion on lately is that religion does have its purpose in society here's what i mean by that not that we should let these harmful ideas just sort of let loose and mm-hmm. and, and we we should be critical i think i think you and i both have more than a healthy dose of criticism i think maybe we we sometimes cross that line which is it is what it is what it is what we do some people would say that other people would say we don't go far enough which is which is like that's interesting we could talk about that too but here's what i think recently i've been realizing that for people who lose loved ones religion (laughs) is the one thing that offers something for that it it Mm -hmm. is the one thing that offers something for death anxiety and I think it's the one thing that atheists should probably recognize as legit. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, Neil, I would want nothing less than to be able to spend the rest of whatever forever with people I love. I mean, it doesn't sound fun that when it ends, it ends. Um, and you know, when you let go of someone you love and and they die, you want them not to be, that's it. It's see you later, not goodbye forever. You know what I mean? Uh, Or all we have is a memory and we want more than that. So I don't at all have anything against that. And in fact, that's the biggest thing I think about religion that I have a sympathetic or empathetic uh, response for those who who hold to it because even as someone who may not draw their conclusions, I wish 
that it were true. I mean, I heard some atheists go, no, that's it. I've had enough. No, that's, that's an interesting take. That's not, that's not the average take for people who don't believe. Right. Right. I mean, dude, I'm a human bro. Like I am just as human as anyone who has their conclusions and they disagree with me at the end of the day. And like, there's something about the passion and the desire and the love and just be the frailty of humanity. That is something that I obviously wouldn't want to see end, but then there's the side of the suffering and the pain and, and everything that goes with that. You'd love to end, which leads us to this kind of idea about which God wins. Well, right. for me, uh, obviously, you know, I don't, there's no, like my actual conclusion is at this moment, no God, but if we're going to play in the sandbox, which we're going to do today. Um, and that's like to think about which gods like sound cool. I want to play around with the idea. If there is a God, like which one makes a lot of cool sense and, and, and kind of has an interesting take on the world and how we interpret them and stuff. Let's have fun doing that. Let's take the audience super chats and like throw them at Neil. You help his channel, but also, you know, we want to put you on a pedestal today. Let your voice be heard and and see what what comes out of that but for me it's not what i was taught that makes the most sense or is the god that wins if that makes sense yeah that's what i wanted to ask the chat is like even if you don't like i want to let people jump in with, with with comments on why they think their god is the right one and why it makes the most sense but also if you're if you don't believe in it if you have if you're not part of any religion what would your ideal God be like if one was, was to exist? If you were to say, you know what, if I would think that this would be legitimate, if this God did this, if the, if the world was like this, or like, any, like we can just, it's like a sandbox of, of thought right now. Like you can yeah. just think of anything, but also people in the chat who might be a heretic, maybe you are a Christian, maybe you are a Muslim, but maybe you think something different. And, and I, I was talking to, I was recording a, a, a conversation last night that I'm going to re release into this channel. In a couple of days, it's pre-recorded. It was in person with the Catholic, and I'm asking him what his thoughts are and what he believes. And he's not at all in line with like tradition. He's got a lot of heretical views, and I, I, I was really, it was really like a breath of fresh air to hear him be so mad. Honest. Respect, yeah. He's just, he just being honest on what he thinks is going to happen and what he thinks was really he thinks is wrong about the Bible, but but he's why he's still a Catholic. I'm like this, okay. I wish more people would talk like this. Yeah. That her, it's like heretical because you don't want to be like that. You don't want to come off as like, oh, I don't think their church is right. I think they're wrong. But it's interesting to hear people say stuff like that. That's what I want to get from people, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think my hat goes off to that person because it's hard enough, even dealing with people within your own communities, especially certain Christian communities where you're thrown a heretic or they throw that whole to and fro with the wind traveling, you know, like you're just going with every doctrine. And it's like, no, I'm really trying. I'm right. really trying. Whereas you're just very comfortable to live in your Southern Baptist church. Your daddy preaches as the pastor at, so you yeah. can't leave. Imagine what your dad or mom would think of you if you left or whatever. So there's reasoning behind why they are willing to stand on those verses and throw them at you. And one thing I think is important, if there was, if I was just saying, who cares what I believe right now? If the world is the way that it is, and I was trying to pinpoint deities and like make sense of it, if I were assuming there had to be one, 
okay? I would start looking not for an omniscient, omnipotent deity. I know that that's the Islamic one right? because uh, there's a problem of evil that is a very difficult issue. And then there's also divine hiddenness, all this stuff. But, but I'm looking at gods that have shortcomings. Those are the most interesting ones. Even ancient Yahweh, okay? Like you go back into ancient Israelite religion, this God actually... I'm fascinated with the corporeal deity that has sex, has children, is married, it gets angry, is happy, really is just a reflection of humans. But I'm interested in that deity. I'm interested in Dionysus getting pissed off because the family is not recognizing his divinity. And so right. he has the Minads go into a frenzy and even the Minads kill. You know, like it's just, it's like, whoa, because it's more reality. It's almost and like, then, and then even when Agape re repents and says, "Oh, I'm sorry, you you are the one." Like, I repent, and he says, "It's too late." Like too that's late. like that's that tragedy that you know what I mean. That yeah, love I mean, dude, that. it's it, let's be honest, right? We all liked Game of Thrones, or at least some of us. I would imagine most of us, right? And it's some gory, bad stuff. So if we just say, "Look, the problem of evil, we can't like it is what it is," and even the gods are affected by it okay now we're getting into a different world than what we've been taught in the bubble of christianity Ooh. i'd agree thank you for the super chat i think if god existed he would need to reverse the suffering of animals and humans alike that's wild smith this i was thinking like, and though this is the number one thing that if i was this if i if i picked death anxiety as the number one thing of why religion has its purpose the the suffering of and the problem of evil and the suffering is the is the number one rebuttal to these are the these are the two ideas that boom they clash and they can't be right. like it's just she's she's on point about this like if there is a god that's in control of everything right that's a problem you have that's a problem right you have to explain what why is it this this reality is so not well done like it's not finely tuned. People say it's so finely tuned. We we have just enough oxygen. We have just enough. It's like yeah, because yeah. of evolution we do, because <laughs> we're evolved this way, right? right? But um, what was I going to say? But then there's these, then there's these pagans that say we don't have face that problem of evil. We have multiple gods. There's different forces at work, and be, due to these forces playing tug of war, there's problems that come from that. And there, it's not one god's fault. It's a different. It's a series of events, and um, that's interesting. But is paganism really like? I mean, to me, when I look at the ancient religions of Greece and Rome, and I'm just an amateur, but I love reading about this stuff. It seems they're more about the rituals than they are about the belief and the faith. Right. It's more 100%. tradition. Yeah. One hundred percent, brother. And and the in reality, the actions that they take. The, and, and the divine are connected. So this is why when Christians were doing what they were doing, they were called atheists. They didn't actually have an image. They didn't have an actual deity that was connected. And they believed that the forces that be were going to neglect and forsake Rome or forsake Greece or whoever because they were neglecting the deities. And so you were inevitably going to get the suffering because of these things. So they, there's a lot connected to this. But one thing that I think is interesting I interviewed Bernardo Castrup, who's like a really brainiac philosopher. And at the end of the discussion, he pretty much just said the imperfections we see in the world, suffering, bad, all of these things we talk about, death, whatnot, are actually, in his view, philosophically, the 
the um it's like a glitch in the in the matrix so to speak or a glitch in the system to him he said this is a reflection of the mind behind creation so he admits that the creator of the creation or whatever that is is also affected and it doesn't know it's confused it doesn't know what to do completely it struggles so now you're dealing with a deity that isn't what we've been told by the typical christian philosopher types that want to say god is omniscient and all loving and all this and that and it's like why is there so much bad so if we kind of work within that model and see in the greek world that look evil is evil and it's there and how are we going to address it even the gods get affected by it yeah that's that's the sandbox i'd rather play with the best god if i were just painting it would be like ending all bad all evil everything good no more death no more you know but that's kind of too easy that doesn't make this podcast fun if that makes sense right yeah that is that it's a cop-out it's like a it's it, the simplest just, yeah just imagining what we want to be true which but then again isn't that what we do when we try to resolve death anxiety and fear fear that we lost our love we're just we're hoping we're hoping we're we're projecting our insecurities our disbelief and something that's shocking we're doing that like that's what we're doing anyway even if it's like jumping and grabbing onto some religion that you grew up in even right. if that's the case you're still doing it at some degree you're still hoping for something and which is i don't i don't, I don't knock that i, I can't, can't blame them yeah i understand it's not easy words can't just change that there's something deeper and experience that i think can affect that you know Discovery <laughs> latest sponsor, Beard Bomb. Yeah, maybe I need do need some of that. I was good on trimming actually. I think I'm gonna get a little trim going. It's getting a little it's getting a little long, but I've I i do not know. I was just gonna I haven't done this in a while. I used to have one a couple years ago and I got rid of it, but it's back. Yeah, Pat Pat's Pat's rooting that beard on, I'm gonna tell you, you know. Yeah. Melody Joyce says, My mom posted something on her Facebook today. Have you ever thought about suffering as a way for God to mature and sanctity us. Oh, I have so many replies to this. That's interesting. That's another thing. This is a whole nother thing to open up. What if God is subser subservient to a different force and that he's got a, he's got problems and he's failing at something. And that's the reason why everything's messed up. But if he has to, what if it's his job to make sure everything here is perfect and he's, he's failing? What if he's about to face judgment for that? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm it is kind of out there, but like, I feel you because it's possible. Think, think about what you're saying. Right. And like, imagine Mormons are kind of on the money with that. Right. And so God has a God and he lived on some other planet, our God, let's just pretend it's, it's this one deity of this planet. And uh, he has wives and children. He sinned in his human life on that planet, wherever that was. And then, of course, he had to follow and obey and worship in order to get this planet. It like it's this endless uh, turtles all the way down kind of idea that it never ends. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think the Gnostics, some well, some of the Gnostics we call them Gnostics now. Some of these early Christians had beliefs like that with the aeons, mm -hmm. Sophia and. I forgot what the, I think it's the monad they called it the, the the one on top was the monad and from the monad was all these ions and these are all basically God and Yaldabaoth is one of these gods he's the Old Testament god so that those ideas are not like new or anything those are those were floating around for a while right 
Um, that's why I love getting into these early Christians. Like Bart Ehrman wrote about the lost Christianities, found Christianities. You can, you can mm-hmm. go to uh, Mary Beard writes about this in her religions of Rome. She talks about all the different, some a little, little bit, a little bit about that, but um, it's, it's mind blowing because we think of early Christianity as like, Oh, they must've been the most closest to, what orthodox is they must have there must have been no there must have been no disagreements at all everyone must have been agreeing on everything it's like no they didn't even think god was the same thing <laughs> they had different names some had many gods yeah <laughs> they had totally <laughs> that some of them thought reincarnation was going to have some of them thought you know you go to heaven like there's different there was a whole wide ranging ideas of christianity early on that people don't get into but um yeah that's what and that's i don't know like, I feel like that's right there when you look at that is makes it evident that we don't nobody knows. We're all just kind of just thinking and projecting our mm-hmm. and as philosophy grows, theology grows alongside with it. They're intertwined. So Plato, a Plato comes in- along and he changes the game and his 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 dialogues and people take from Plato and then they write their stuff. And all of a sudden you see religion start changing. Right. You know, as a result of that, you start seeing more. I don't know, but that's part of it. Science is also changing the yes. philosophy and like our, our natural observations of the world are impacting how we're coming to philosophical stances for the for the most part. I mean, there's some people who just don't even allow the natural world to impact their view. They might have a particular philosophical view, but I have noticed that that is a big change in philosophy is learning more about the natural world and scientific method and whatnot. But yeah, there's so much, you know, what's interesting about that is the, uh, the idea of their, the Bible being having to be literally true. Mm-hmm. Meaning Noah literally like, was it made an ark and put animals on there. Adam and Eve literally lived in paradise. Those ideas were not, that was not a thing until science progressed to a certain point And the, the enlightenment it was like a reaction to the enlightenment because people they, they're like it has to be if, it, if it's not literally true then it doesn't matter it's just all just metaphor who cares so you had this protestants push towards well it is literally true and if you and if and if you don't think so then you're not a real christian are you saying that it was I, never understood literally that's what i think I yeah i disagree yeah i could be wrong but i do think i do think that when the Old Testament writers were putting together the Bible, they weren't. It wasn't supposed to be taken literally. Also, with the New Testament, even some of the gospel stories were not supposed to be taken literally. Well, okay, so now we're yeah, yeah, yeah. So this okay, there's not everything. There's, there's there difference. are some things that people said, like the idea of him resurrecting people. That's that's well, there's how a, there's a difference in what I'm saying is is I can't get into the minds of the authors, but I mean whether the Genesis author or authors that is behind. Genesis one, because Genesis two is separate. Um, what they thought about what they were writing, if this is allegory or whatever genre they were writing was not literal history, maybe how it was understood. Um, I, I mean, I can't force. I, I really do think that, for example, the way Paul interprets these things from one man, all the nations of the earth, etc. Like uh, he seems to have a belief that Adam is the first man. And so they they're taking this scripture as like they really believe it's literally the truth of how mankind came to be and how 
this Christ figure of his is the last Adam and such. So I, I do think it was understood that way by some, but maybe some not just like in the myths of um, the Greek world. There were some people who really believed this stuff. And then there were others who went great, great stories, like cool right, story, right. dude, cool story. We're not buying it literally. Um, and then of course you see you problems. See, you see that in Cicero's on the gods where there's the dialogue right. and there's like, you really think this is true like you yeah. don't think this is just metaphors to teach you lessons and the other the other guy's like no it's happened it's true it's real <laughs> yeah but i'm not ruling out like what you're saying about what were the original intentions of the authors do we think mark wrote a historiography that is like supposed to actually tell you what literally happened or is he writing mythic mythoi uh is he writing something that's literally meant to be a myth, a origin myth of Christianity. And I tend to think that he's writing origin myth of Christianity rather than actual history. Right. Um, it got understood eventually as history, but I, even Justin Martyr, bro, you know, you're going to be helping me edit that clip. Like, but that's like, how Plato, that's how Plato portrayed Socrates. He didn't portray him historically. Plato's right. portraying Socrates in a way that he wants you to think Socrates is. Right. He's, he's making Socrates talk about platonic forms and like oh, I'm, I'm not i'm not the expert in this but like experts tell me that's not what socrates was was talking about and this is plato's ideas right and i'm like okay well that makes a lot like that's this is how they wrote stories about people who they thought thought high of they make so you get a character like jesus who is super popular whatever for whatever reason he has a following he's charismatic and then people want to use him as a tool to portray a message somehow. Right. Isn't that right. not what Socrates, isn't that not what happened with Socrates? Yeah, absolutely. By the way, Neil, I feel like we should be entering into a, a Bacchic uh, trance during this, during this episode. Can, can we try doing that and seeing if the audio comes through clean? Yeah. Or, yeah. What a subtle uh, mind, mind. And, oh, and, mind and by the way, can you uh, pull that up that while you're pulling that I'll pull this up. You pull the music up. This is the course that I have in the list in the description from Dr. Dennis McDonald about mimesis. So he teaches how the gospels are. How do, what do you say? Bowering? Like I'm imitating, imitating. Dude. There you go. I don't want to say copying, borrowing. That's the right word. Imitating. Scenes from Greek poetry, such as Homer, such as Plato, and you can he lays it out for you. He shows you the evidence. He shows you how he shows you how, how not only do we do can we see the mimesis in the text, but we also have evidence of Byzantines practicing this very method in their education systems. So to me, I think he's very convincing. I think it's just like I don't even know why it's. It's, I think it's convincing. That's all. I, you know. well, I just, I love that that tune, dude. Let me put it this way: I worked. Look at the title, right? With Dennis McDonald and Derek Lambert, it's eighteen lectures, bro. Yeah. I mean, I edited this. A lot. That's a for, lot of content. This took me. I mean, you're gonna come out of this as an expert in this whole. Movie. Oh, without a doubt, bro. Forty-five. You know, I mean, you will you will have the tools if you're ever in a debate with a Christian about the Gospels are literally true. Like you're debating a fundamentalist, you know, someone who you want to just, you know, you're engaging in 
friendly debate you know is this just you know you're whatever this is gonna give you some tools right like you're gonna be equipped with some stuff that's gonna sh- sh- like shock people. like this is good stuff right here right dude there's 76 people watching right i want to teach look i have not even done this on myth vision i feel like give, getting them behind this paywall for just a second to let them see and like sure. if they decide as a like whatever they could find a way to buy the course you're helping dennis mcdonald you're helping neil if you purchase the course through his link like it is a way to keep doing what we're doing here educating the world but this goes deep i'm going to share the screen and actually play the very beginning here um i haven't even done this on myth vision brother nice so oh, exclusive exclusive bro um hold on let me exit that here we go share my screen that music's where it's at ain't it yeah it's got that feels to it. Brings the mood right. Exactly. Um, okay, here we are. Lecture one. Audio is attached. Here we go. I'm gonna turn off the the mine ads from singing for a second here. Okay, and here we go. Welcome to a course we're doing here with Dr. Dennis R. McDonald. I hope that you learn something new. I know you will if you stay tuned. Dennis McDonald, you've been working on parallels for quite some time. I'll, I'll just call them parallels to make it simple. In the Greek world with the New Testament. Yeah. And uh, you've had what you call a eureka moment. Can you tell us your testimony of what happened that got you to see into a world that hasn't really been observed by scholarship in the way that you have. Well, Derek, thanks so much for um, initiating this conversation. Actually, there were several Eurekas, and uh, I want to kind of narrate my little intellectual journey that has issued in a book, Synopses of Epic Tragedy and the Gospels, which is available for really $22 right now on Amazon. Uh, So I'd encourage people who are interested in this topic to spend a little money and then you'd have this reference work. By the way, it is a reference work. It's like an encyclopedia. So you don't want to sit down and read it from beginning to end, but you want to read the first 20 pages or so to understand what's going on. He's going to explain. He's going to... He's going to explain his Eureka moment, and it's really cool hearing him build up to how he discovered the connections to the Greek world. This is cool. Eureka was this, Derek. I had uh, published a book on the um, Acts of Paul, an apocryphal Acts of the Apostles, and became um, interested in how that gives us a different understanding of Paul. But there were other apocryphal acts of apostles that had not yet been fully edited. And one of them that really fascinated me was the Acts of Andrew. And I got a scholarship from the National Endowment for the Humanities. This was after I graduated from Harvard. um, In order to look for folklore in the Acts of Andrew to see if there was a hidden Andrew tradition in the church, the same way as there was a kind of hidden Pauline tradition behind the Acts of Paul. 
And with the help of some superb folklorists, it became obvious that there wasn't any folklore behind the Acts of Andrew. You can't use traditional form criticism that biblical scholars use to get to it. It actually is highly literary. And the it occurred to me, um, actually driving away from Indiana University back to Denver to my home, that the parallels were with the Odyssey because I was unknown to the highway patrol of five states. I was reading the Odyssey as I drove home. And it was just amazing that once one saw um, the, nice graphics, the Odyssey. You did that? Uh, I did all the that. the Acts of Andrew in mind, that Andrew was a Christian Odysseus. He also is a Christian Plato. Um, uh, or Socrates, according to Plato. He also was a Christian uh, Heracles. So I wrote a book called Christianizing Homer and an edition of the Acts of Andrew, which at that point hadn't been assembled. And you'd, I did it in from you know, Greek, Latin, uh, Coptic, and uh, even some Anglo-Saxon and Armenian. Um, which was a huge task. It took a decade. And during that time, I thought that the Acts of Andrew was unique in early Christian literature by imitating uh, poetry. But in um, around 1984, I was preparing a lecture on the Gospel of Mark, got up around four o'clock, made myself a pot of coffee and gave myself a new reading of the Gospel of Mark, just in English. And it was astonishing what I saw. Jesus sails the sea with a crew that is his disciples that are not nearly as noble as he is, like Odysseus. Like Odysseus, Jesus keeps his identity a secret so his enemies can't kill him. The Jewish authorities play the role of Penelope's suitors. They love the best seats in uh, synagogues, and they're willing to kill in order to uh, win the inheritance. Um, Judas plays the role of Melanthius, Jesus's turncoat slave. Um, Jesus has his feet anointed by a woman, like Odysseus having his uh, feet anointed by his nurse Eurycleia, and she recognizes him from his scar. And the name Eurycleia means renowned far and wide, and it said of this woman who anoints Jesus that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, um, it, it'll be in her memory. So um, these parallels were so striking that I dared not give the, the, a new lecture on it because it hadn't been digested. And so I spent another summer working through the Gospel of Mark, creating criteria that where I might be able to make a claim that there's a literary connection. And at point after point after point, it became clear that Mark was imitating not just the Odyssey, but also the Iliad, and also um, some uh, tragedian plays. And I translated um, Homer and Euripides and Plato for myself in order to compare the Greek of the, the Gospel of Mark with the Greek of these stories. 
and it was unbelievable what I was finding. I also turned to a study of Greek rhetoric and understood better how literary imitation or mimesis worked. Um, and it was um, that people were taught how to write by imitating recognized models and to compare um, heroes in an activity called synchrosis. Synchrosis is simply a comparison to show that one character is similar but better than another. And of course, that's what's going on in Mark. Jesus is like Odysseus, but he's better than Odysseus. He's like Hector in his death, but he's he comes back to life. So the, that's a, a synchrosis, and it goes on and on. Well, then I thought maybe Mark is unique among the Gospels. So that was, a, that was the big Eureka. The big Eureka was discovering that morning that Mark is, has to be imitating um, this literature, and then I worked it up. The first uh, major effort to this um, was a book that is still in print, um, the Homeric Epics and the Gospel of Mark. And it still is one of my favorites because it's there that I explore more than elsewhere the uh, Greek metrical education uh, and of mimesis. So um, that's where it began. But then I realized that the Acts of the Apostles was imitating Homer extensively. And so was the Gospel of Luke. And so was the Jewish book of Tobit. And so are places in Josephus. And so, uh, and bro, 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 I'm going to tell you, this is a bombshell. Course. I really do think it's game changer stuff. Like he's, he's finding out a lot of amazing material. That's not on everyone's radar. That's for sure. No. And I had to stop there, bro, but that's like seven minutes in and there's like 30 something. That's the intro. There are eight, of those lectures you pinned the link in the chat so anyone who's serious yeah, links about in the description right on top and it's also pinned on the chat so i mean he's just it blows my freaking mind and and it's sad the way that new testament studies has been on that but he's connecting to that greek world and he asked a question in his book called mythologizing jesus which is in the vein of the topic of this video of like which god wins and stuff he asks his grandchild and he says now You've heard both connections. You've heard the Jesus story. And then you heard the Greek story. You've heard the Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. You've heard Euripides' Bacchae. Which one do you like better? And his grandchild said, I like the Greek stories better. But he said, but which one would you rather imitate more? Like, because they're not as merciful. They don't show kindness as much. You know, like Dionysus is like, too late. I don't care if you say you're sorry at this point. You're dead. Um, whereas Jesus shows mercy. And so he's like, well, I, the, the Jesus story is a better example of how to live. Uh, but the Greek story is, you know, way better, way cooler, way more fun. And so it was, it, I actually teared up reading his mythologizing Jesus book at the end. When I finally got through seeing what he was saying and then saw that and thought about that, I was like, it brought beauty to the whole thing. So I was like, this is really cool, man. That's why we can have these talks and not like, oh, let's not even entertain the idea or even pretend and discuss different gods and stuff. Yeah, no, that's what I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to be open to this stuff, you know, as much as possible. Because I'm, if I'm going to explore it, I'm going to do critical videos on these things. 
it's only fair and right that I'm open to hearing other people and their, you know, their points of view, you know? So, but then, yeah. So Dennis McDonald's Mimesis stuff is great. He really shows how, and it's, and, and like, if you're on the side of believing in Christianity, it's not a bad thing. It's not like a, Oh, this is not like a, it's over for Christianity. Dennis McDonald figured out the, their, uh, they're imitating these other texts. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. All it does is say that the Christians held these texts dearly and they wanted, and this is how they, you know, it just means that they're, pa- they're, 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 they're passing down texts that are held high, right? High standard. Imagine you went to make a TV show tomorrow on Netflix and you don't model it off of, after the best. Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy. I mean, you know, I'm showing my bias here, but like uh, get any type of TV show, Game of Thrones, whatever, and you don't imitate but try to be better than, you aren't replicating what you know works, you're an idiot business person if you don't do that. Like you legitimately, if you're going to be successful, you have to make the best and you see what works the best in the known world. So when you go to make your Netflix series, what are you going to do? Are you going to not try and work within the confines of what you know to be the best? Yes, you are. And in fact, Homer, Euripides, this is the creme de la creme of the ancient Greco-Roman world, literally. Absolutely. I agree with that. Ted Francis, thank you for the super chat. I really appreciate that. It's always good to see you here. I think the sun is the only thing that's close to a god. Oh, I would love to. I would love to ask you more about what you think about that. What do you mean? And do you mean like the sun gives life because plants grow, and you know it, the sun is like the main thing that creates a lot of like you know rain and all this stuff is caused by the sun. Is that where you're getting at? Is like def- by default, like like we don't. I don't know. What do you? Is that is that what he's trying to say? If you have, if you're in the chat still, there's That's a interesting point though. You remember the stand-up comedian who's like. Um, he's gonna burn you and torture you and kill you and squish you and crush you, but he loves you. Uh, yeah. Carl Carlson or something, I can't remember his name. It's something like, Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. you know. Well, he even went on record in one of his stand ups and said, I believe he's like obviously big against religion, but he's like, I believe in the sun. And if, if there is a God, it's the sun. I wake up in the morning. It's what gives it's, I can see it. I can feel it when I go outside. I know it's there almost like Akhenaten, man. Akhenaten recognized the sun disc and the sun as the light bearer that brings life and brings the warmth and all of that. So there's a sense of like, it's not ridiculous, especially when the ancients did believe that the sun was a deity. And they also thought the planets were deities, et cetera. But um, this is why we have like gods like Jupiter, which, you know, anyway, take Zeus and, and continue the planetary thing. Our weekdays are named after these deities for crying out loud. And it's all measurement of time based on the sun. So, but yeah, the sun is, is without it, what, you know, we're done. So it's like, at least I can see it. And it's a faith that if someone actually did believe in the sun and had some esoteric value to it, yeah, I can't look at them and go, okay, it's not ridiculous unless they made claims like, well, the sun's an actual human. And within the capsule of the sun is like a, you, you start making silly, ridiculous look claims. Look at this meme right here. Without yeah. us, you'd still be worshiping the sun. It's like Columbus t- t- teaching about Christianity. 
dude, the sun is real. <laughs> right, right. It's so, so you, true, though. You like, can't knock you them. Can't, you, like, well, that's why the ancients looked up at the sun and said, what is that thing up there? It mm-hmm. gives us warmth. It lets us see better. It makes the crops grow. It's like you, like you, how can you not think there's something magic happening there? Right. Not, not knowing the process behind it, you know? Without a doubt. And that's like why it's not silly. Even today, as my experience, I'll go outside and I'll feel the warmth of the sun and the breeze and the cool wind. And, you know, I'll get that euphoric, uh, man, the season, the smell, the fresh air something amazing about the human experience in that respect. And, and I have, that's why I tell people, even though I don't believe like in the belief sense that Christians have, or, you know, most people who are theistic, like I still get those experiences I had back when I was still religious. And my point is, is I think it's a human thing, but anyway, that's, that's, it's, yeah, I love this. I love this super chat though. And it's not, and it's, it reminds you like the, the more, because we, 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 when we're brought up in religion, Christianity or Judaism or whatever, Islam, we, we like to, we're taught that, you know, monotheism was first and then all these pagans came along and they're the ones that are heretics. So they, they're the, they came later, but like, really it's way the monotheism is so new compared yeah. to, compared to all these ancient, completely like, uh, pri- like, you know, like, they're, they're off in their different lands doing their different things. They have their own religions happen. And, and most of them, and there's a reason why like Helios is uh, equivalent to Ra or equivalent to Asura in the Hindus because they're both the sun gods, right? And what you see is, it's not that they're all like, it's not like a lot of conspiracy theorists, but there was a one world religion back in the day and there was an right. ancient society and there they had pyramids that were part. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not what it, it's not what that's saying. What's, what it's saying is they saw the same things in nature, mm-hmm. the night sky. Oh, that's the goddess Nyx or whatever. In some, some, in some cultures, it's a God, not a goddess, just the night God. But right. like you, the same phenomena happening in nature, river gods, sun gods, wind gods, volcano gods. And so what you see is you see the same sort of pantheon starting sprouting up. And it is true that some of them do come from common ancestry. Or like they have some genealogical connection to how they Etymology rising. That's but true. you're saying it's ubiquitous across the earth. And it even goes further, like the dying and rising God things. You and me both, I think that you would agree. You might disagree. That's fine. There are examples. I think there's good reason to say there's some social relationship in how narratives were were uh created or at least in certain cultures they've been impacted so there's a dying and rising god maybe idea but death is ubiquitous so in some cases maybe they aren't connected but the rebirth idea or or cyclical agricultural uh, you don't need to tell me right it doesn't it's not like i had to go learn this from you down here to see the same cycle of nature taking place then to draw some conclusion that oh we actually get reincarnated in fact i think that we come back or we get rebirthed or we go into heaven whatever the different models might be because we're all making a guess to try and understand the the same things happening around us exactly when someone dies a new person is born huh i wonder if that's a cycle and then you start thinking you start filling in the blanks with kind of what is a, a, a hope yeah which is kind of it's kind of what faith actually is it's like you're hoping for something 
to be, and then I'm not like making fun of her. I'm just saying that like, no, that's, kind of, no, that's no. kind of what it is. Like you're hoping that everything's going to work itself out, that you're going to see everyone again one day on the other side, you know? In fact, I just thought of something. I was, um, I used to have this belief. This is a wild belief. Um, this was, I don't even know when I thought of this, but like, I, w- I was thinking to myself, like, if this, if it's true that the atheists are right and there's no spirits and there's, this, everything's natural, everything's a natural process, right? Right. And then I, and I, I thought, I said, what is the only way that there could be like an afterlife, right? I'm thinking to myself, like, how would it play out in my mind that this could be possible? And this is what I thought of. And this is going to, this is probably completely a scientific that just hear me out it's gonna be funny actually i thought that when everyone dies that's it you go into the you go into the ground you're you're, you're no more conscious you're, you're you're not existent you're gone you're not experiencing darkness you're not in the abyss you're not it's not you're just not there you're just gone you're just not existing anymore right but what if after the universe has goes through its heat death you know, they call it the heat death. When right. Everything, when the last black hole sucks up the other, when there's nothing left and the universe is end. What if something after that happens and then everything that was conscious somehow regains its consciousness again? Like, it's not like, not, <laughs> this is crazy, right? I know, I know. This is what I thought. I don't, I don't. Right, right, right. No, 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 I get it. This is myself trying to say, it's still, there still could be a way out, right? Right. But think about it. It's not that you die and go somewhere like your spirit leaves your body magically and you fly up to some heaven place. It's that you die and you wait trillions of years for some natural phenomenon to come and bring you back somehow, whatever that process is. We can't even think about it. Right. So it would feel like a split second went by, you would die and you immediately wake up and it's trillions, gazillion, jillion, jillion, infinite years later. And you didn't even notice it. Cause you just, you, you were dead right. the whole time. Right. So I thought about that. That was like that was a thought that I used to carry around with me. It's like you never know what's gonna happen after this universe. We never know. Like it was one of those, yeah. and it's amazing how the mind will do that. Like you'll even when you're faced with so much that brings so much doubt into what you believe, you'll still think of something like, "But it's still possible." Right. Right. You know? Right. Right. I'm just, yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain. Like we, we're, we're, the human know. imagination, is so powerful. It is, it is crazy, right? Yeah. You'll, yeah. you'll always, it's always, there's always that like hope of something. There's got to be something. Like I don't know. I wonder if anyone can identify with that or relate to that. But anyways, imposter suspense. I think the Dionysian Apollonian dualism makes sense. Darkness and light. We see dualism in nature, and everything is atoms and void. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I said earlier, Dionysus, right? It's one among many gods, of course. But um, it is an interesting, fun narrative to kind of go into and like consider, especially think about this, man. Imagine you're out here, you're, you're struggling. It's hard. Life's hard enough. And then you just press some grapes and next thing you know, you're freed, like your perception completely changed from struggle and misery to joy. And it brings you this magical incantation through this grape that honestly makes you feel like even when shit's burning to the ground, there's hope. 
and it gives you a strength. I remember, I mean, look, you're, I'm a recovering alcoholic and I have almost eight years off of alcohol, but when I would drink, I felt I was 10 feet tall and I felt like I was invincible. This is no joke. And they say Dionysus made old men act young and be young right, and, right. and feel young. So like there's, of course there's narratives to it, but alcohol goes way back in this sucker, dude. I mean, we're talking way back. So yeah. 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 Anyway, we're getting into like Carl, Carl Ruck and stuff, right? Like, and yeah. how well, and somebody who was big on, on this duality thing with Dionysus and Apollo was Nietzsche. Ah. He wrote, he wrote a lot about that. Cause it's like, when you're reading Nietzsche and his take on the ancient Greeks, he has he he's like thinking in this dualistic mindset between the Dionysian and Apollo. He's talking about like art though. He's talking about like ancient Greek art, classical art. And he's like dividing everything up into two different categories. But you don't see like you don't hear the ancient Greeks talking about that. So it's like it's kind of his own thing, I guess. Right. I could be wrong, obviously. I don't I don't know. I haven't read everything. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going off what I'm seeing like Someone might be like, no, it's actually Plato said it this time. Uh, sure, you're right. I don't know. I could be wrong. But like, it doesn't seem like that's like, that was like what the, how the Greeks thought about it. But it is interesting how Apollo is this like God who, you know, he's sometimes represented by the sun. He's light. Dionysus is more like, uh, he's also uh, identified as being a Chthonian, earthborn. He goes to the underworld, comes back up. He's kind of de depicted with like black, pitch black hair. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, about like sex and wine and where he's, he's a fun God. Yeah. Whereas Apollo is about like music, beauty, healing. Maybe it's, there is sort of a dualism going on there. I don't, it's, I don't know where that comes from though. It's interesting, but yeah, that's something I'm going to look into that. It's a good topic. Yeah, oh, the Adams and void thing. The Greeks were Epicurus and Democritus and those guys were, were theorizing this stuff they weren't they, mm -hmm. they, they couldn't test this in labs they were theorizing this stuff and being right brilliant people like that's amazing can you met yeah would you ever think of adams and void if you just were sitting in a and just sitting it out and outside just thinking about the universe like i'm sure that we could come to that if we're thinking critically and in, in the best we could but they're all they're i mean they're right about a lot of stuff but they're also wrong about many things too absolutely. we've learned a lot since then but absolutely it's still again i've said this in the past religion these gods i think are our best guess at trying to understand nature and Maybe maybe people really believe there were real entities, agents behind the natural phenomena. And eventually, once you discover, actually, we don't think volcano is a god or that 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 lightning bolt was literally a thunderclap of Zeus or whatever, um, it, then it becomes kind of like, oh, but that was anthropomorphic language or, you know, we allegorized. The, Zeus came down and raped someone. Well, <laughs> We know God can't rape. He doesn't even have sexual desire. So this must be an allegory. They philosophize because of the science, because of the natural world. This is why I said earlier, science is forcing philosophy to, I think it's forcing it to act a certain way, even though I like, there's some philosophy that I've listened to and heard that almost sounds like just mental masturbation. Like they're making stuff up and just going out in unfalsifiable ways of like, making observations about shit that is like what 
it, it, there's no way to prove or disprove any of that. But in the ancient world, I think what's going on is they're looking at the natural world, seeing natural phenomena, measurements, mathematics, calculating things up and going, ah, come on, that's 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 a story um, because they had certain concepts of God that kept getting above the natural world. They couldn't imagine the gods being corruptible like the world around them. And so it's a natural step. It's not a dumb one. It's actually smart to start putting the gods in a category that go beyond the world. And yet you get to a certain point where you're like, where are they at anymore? Anyway, that's a whole different. I just want to show this real quick. This is obviously I'm just looking at a drive by doing some Wikipedia looking. This dude lived in the fifth century BCE. We're talking, you know, centuries, centuries before Christianity. We're talking about before the Roman empire. Um, he's, formulating atomic theory like that is just i don't know i'm i'm amazed by that i'm sorry i'm just amazed by that it really it really blows my mind like and we people are brilliant like the ancients were a lot more brilliant than we give them credit for right so i mean like you said the, he didn't he wasn't spot on about it he still got a lot of stuff wrong i think he said there were like marbles like he like said the atoms are like marbles or something well everything's spherical because yeah the platonic Right. Yeah, it's it's there's some good stuff though. But it's uh, really it's, it's like he that's someone who's way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. You know, uh, it's not even just not just the Greeks though. There's brilliant thinkers all over the ancient world and China and all over. You know, um, yeah. But anyways, someone said that uh, someone said that Zeus. Uh, so Zeus didn't rape. That's so I'm speaking at different times here, uh, way, way down. So I, I just want to make the mark. Zeus had no sexual desires, so he did yeah, all Zeus, those rapes Zeus on his all, Zeus was not good at all. No, but, <laughs> but early, crazy stuff. Yeah. early on and probably to the general people who were practicers of the folk religions of Greece and Rome. Yes, he had he had sexual desires. And yes according to the stories did rapes and things like that the philosophers over time started to see that category as no there's no way zeus had sexual desires and actually raped they then made an allegory of it kind of like athanasius that was, made that, that was plato's main like argument in the republic was that right the way homer's depicting the gods is not good that's not good and it, it can't be what the gods really did so right. they must be allegories not to be taken literal and that is what the philosopher the the wise men the ones who were trying to use their knowledge and gain access to the best they could of the world not the common folk who are reading these or hearing these stories and thinking zeus really did come down and sleep with that girl or whatever um but they they allegorized it. And the same can be said of Revelation with Athanasius. If you go and look how Irenaeus started saying, Revelation, Scripture, then read Iron, uh, Athanasius and Eusebius, and you're going to go, they allegorized Revelation to be about the church. And the. And there's so much stuff they do, they change the meaning of it to suit their needs. That's all I meant. Anyway, Apollo's yeah, in the house. Did the sun help you get clean or higher power? And we both have years clean of sobriety right. from our addictions and we both relate on this but take let me hear your thoughts on this first what did you because this is this is a really good question paul yeah. thanks for bringing this up because when you're one of the things that is really heavily stressed in recovery is this higher power thing yeah you can't you can't avoid it there are secular movements in recovery but like 
even they have like the 12 the whole 12 step thing you you can go you might even be in like a court system they call them drug courts or whatever mm-hmm. and they'll be like are you doing your 12 step program and little and i don't know if they're re- realized it or not there's a god in that involved in that step so you have man court mandated finding of, of a higher power is court mandated in some in some cases mm-hmm. so, yeah because they well the, that's obviously the in court cases in America, that's the free way to do it. You can go down to an AA meeting and NA meeting or whatever the meeting might be. And they could sign your paper saying, Hey, I, I attended that the person right. who's hosting the meeting can do that. And I used to sign other people's papers when I would host a meeting. Right. Um, w- the last time I was caught up in my addiction with heroin. Um, and I actually went through Alcoholics Anonymous, even though I bounced back and forth in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I was dying. I went in there, I was withdrawing five days off heroin, shaking, cold sweats, the whole nine, and just begged, please help me, someone help me. And this person raised their hand and went like this, I know how you feel. You're not alone. And they just did the five fingers, like just touched it and let me see it. And I felt like, okay, I'm not alone, not alone. So at first in the Alcoholics Anonymous Avenue while getting clean, I did speak to a higher power, but wasn't Jesus anymore. Like at this point, I still had that tradition, that baggage, but I was like, I need your help. And so I called it a higher power. I believed it was something bigger and greater than me. Um, It was like a mental ascension to something that I was communicating with. And eventually I then realized it was me, but, that that's where it went. So initially getting clean, I was still praying and asking this thing, this power, almost like if you read ancient philosophers talk about their daemons, like they have right. conversations with themselves, but it's right. the, it's almost like the guardian angel of themselves or something. Yeah. Well, it was Plutarch's life of Socrates. He says that he was talking to the wall and they were like, what are you, who are you talking to? And it's just, Oh, it's my daemon. Right. <laughs> And so like, for me, it was like this, I'm actually talking eventually that higher power was myself. So I I then realized it was me and my loved ones around me, my mother, my brother, my sister, my, my wife, my children. It was them that were my real guardian angels that helped guide me through. But I had to get out of being so selfish in my mind and, and try to change that behavior. But at first you're in a hole, like you, there's nothing about dirt around you. You, you gotta look up in some way in your mind, you feel like I gotta get out of this hole. And so we used to use acronyms, especially when I was getting out of Christianity, still going to the meetings. And I would say, look, man, you need, you you probably need to have God in your life, G O D. And I'd always point to my fingers group of drunks. You need to get around other G O D group of drunks and connect to the other human yeah i've um, heard that one before i forgot about that one yeah man god and we like anyway, it was like we would come up with ways and like people go you can make the doorknob your damn higher power and if it, you know and imagine like, if somebody in recovery had dionysus as their higher power that'd be cool the god of the god of alcohol <laughs> yeah like i love you but i can't touch you right like that that i wonder if that would work or not they're probably either i don't know that's interesting it's kind of a weird question, honestly. Your God is the grape itself, is the is the blood within the grape, which is the wine. And yeah, man, I don't know about all that. <laughs> or Osiris was grain. I mean, or 
yeah, so like you, you have this fertility, but it's also kind of where does vodka come from other than grain? And and so uh, what are we dealing with here? It's another thing. And that's why they ate. They had the same kind of ritualistic as Dionysus and Jesus. I think there's a definite connection there. Um, but yeah, they would drink wine. They would drink uh, beer in Egypt and they would drink cornbread uh, to eat the flesh or the body of the God. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, I've always had the issue with the whole higher power thing when the, when I was starting off in the whole program, and uh, eventually, um, well, actually, I shouldn't say eventually because eventually I ended up going to prison, right. and then I became a Christian. So that was that was the end of that problem. But yeah, um, I didn't before before going before going upstate. I was in and out of programs. And I would always struggle with that whole higher power. Like, what is this is crazy. They're forcing us to, you know, I always thought about that. But um, then I had some psychedelic uh, experiences as well. So I don't know. I'm, I, I can't really describe my thoughts on that other than eventually I just became a Christian. And yeah. then which then eventually was a Gnostic and then eventually was agnostic and then eventually pantheist and went through all these different phases in my belief system so yeah i've been in everywhere i've been i've explored it all you know what I mean? i've just tried it all out you know <laughs> so might as well while you're yeah, at it might as well it's a buffet i mean yeah <laughs> you know uh thank you for the super chat constellation pegasus talk tedious this morning broke the story of baltimore catholics molesting hundreds of kids haven't looked into it yet looks like it's pretty bad i'll i'm look trying to be as uh I don't know how do you what, how do you go about this, but like how, how often do we hear these stories? A lot. Why? It's so because like something weird about this that even in my local news here in Buffalo, you'll every couple months you'll turn on the local news and it'll be uh, another couple hundred yeah, kids. A priest in this area from the parish of four through two, he has been relocated to the vatican and they're saying he's going to face trial for the whoa another one and this is local news that you don't even know about so how many local news is that i don't know about that this is happening in? he's talking about happening in baltimore why is it so much i mean look i i I can't speak to i'm no i'm no psychologist i don't know the behavioral side of this um and why but if you created a cult that Let's just play around hypothetically. We've been playing around this whole thing about which God, right? So let's play around hypothetically. Imagine you and me started a cult, but in this cult, it was our religious duty to murder someone twice a year. Okay. And let's just say there's those kids as we've seen in serial killer movies on Netflix and stuff that like torture animals eventually actually become serial killers and stuff later on in life. They saw that this cult matched the behavior in which they were interested in or the the, the opportunity to go for that. I'll give you another example. Let's just say a man is so interested in having more than one wife. He can become FLDS and join the Mormon church or become a Muslim and marry four women. And he's the head and he could do what he wants as long as he treats them equally, but he's got four chicks at his disposal, right? So I'm saying that this avenue of not marrying in the Catholic church that they've had for so long, not allowed to, there's kind of that suppression, or it could be that, or it could be the combination of, hey, um, there's access to kids, 
Um, we have a, a way to, you know, get away with the things that we're interested in doing. I kind of wonder if it might be both. I don't know the behavioral side so much of the psychology behind people who do that and pedophilia and stuff, but it wouldn't shock me that if they're stuck and they have no other access, but little boys and they're trying to fight this struggle. Yeah. You I don't know. What, you know I've heard someone say before that it's not, it's like the, the type of person who is more likely to like, like become a, you know, drop out of like the idea of ever being married and like devoting their life as a priest to a church that type of person tends to be having ex having issues in their sexuality. I guess you I don't, I don't right, know. like right. which I, I don't know if that's true or not, but like it might be. That's what I'm explain, saying. It might explain some of these numbers. That's all I'm saying. Oh, that's if it's that prevalent, and I mean it's pretty freaking prevalent. I mean it's like it. I'm no more shocked about it anymore. Like I hear about it, and it's like, oh, yep. Oh, well, that's Does that's typical count anymore. Is it that count? We lost count a long time ago. That's all right. But anyways, thank it's you for that. Wild. Messed up talk radio. Thank you for that super chat. Thank you, Constellation. Uh, where does Fanny's rank for you in the battle? Fanny's. I don't know if you know about Fanny's, Derek. Fanny's is. I don't know much about Fanny's. Fanny's is the highest in Hesiod. Fanny's is like the. Fanny's is the one that comes out of the abyss as uncreated. Is the first. Is the Is the. He's uh shouldn't say he it's it's a hermaphroditic god it's it's they they came out of the abyss and creates nyx and eros and like Phanes is like the original all that makes sense yeah there we go let's get some let's get some wikipedia stuff what does it say god of creation yeah Phanes, um or proto protagonists read the orphic cosmogony one because that's probably has a good source okay Phanes well, is often like just highlight over where it says that three I just want to see what it says. The what? number three. The number three next to dualism. I don't see it. Next to dualism. Go up. Go up. No, no. The, the second paragraph. Next, you tell me. Last word here? of the second, No, Orphic cosmogony. Go down. Okay. And then the and then the last word where it says dualism. Okay. Uh highlight that that number two, number three. Just put your cursor over it. Russell. Okay, so this is from Jeffrey Burton Russell, the devil. So I'm, just, I'm just trying to find the source. So this is Cornell University right. Press. Okay, so we have a good source. All right, read that paragraph. I just want to make sure it's a good source. That's all. In Orphic cosmogony, Phanes is often equated with Eros or Mithras and has been depicted as a deity emerging from a cosmic egg entwined with a serpent. He had a helmet and had broad golden wings. The Orphic cosmogony is quite unlike the creation sagas offered by Homer and Hesiod. Scholars have suggested that Orphism is un-Greek, even Asiatic in wow. conception because of its inherent dualism. Wow, that's interesting. Kronos is said to have created the silver egg of the universe out of which the firstborn deity Phanus or Phanes Dionysus. Isn't this some crazy, like this is some wild stuff right here. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love reading about this stuff, man. That is wild, dude. Lord Priapus. Anyways, thank you for that uh, con contribution to the conversation. It's uh, Phanes is interesting. Where does Phanes rank? Honestly, the highest. Why not? I mean, it if what's I mean, what are we, what are we comparing? We're comparing a god from the Old Testament. We're comparing Allah from the Quran. What else are we comparing? The Buddha, the Brahma, 
And it's like, okay, yeah, they're all claiming to be this creator god that's they're they're all up there. What's what's wrong with Fanny's? Why can't Fanny's be in the conversation? Right? right, right they right. believed it. People believed it. So I'm gonna say, yeah, Fanny's is up there. Fanny's is high up there. Good good point. Thank you for that. Anyways, let's see what else we got. Try to see if there's any more comments. You uh, there's a super chat. I think you missed. The ancients are more brilliant than we than we are now. <laughs> Maybe I well, look, I, you know, I think we do dumb down people and we shouldn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I'm with that, that comment. I, I think there's, I can't say then all, um, but you know, there's, I'd say like today, there's some people who are just not bright. And then there's some people who are brilliant and in the ancient world is the same way. I would say. Yeah. What are these things called? Particles, disturbances in fields, that pr- propagate as waves are they waves <laughs> i have so far you're asking the wrong person well, let's i'll keep reading you should get mr adair on one day and look into it yeah he might know heisenberg uncertainty principle really do you want to know what came to mind immediately after that like well, i literally am watching breaking bad right now and he mentions heisenberg and i'm like walter white <laughs> yeah this is this is something i have no idea yeah, the, look, Constellation, just so everybody knows, we've seen Constellation in the chat for a while. It's big into, like, the wanting to get the science, right? Like, And I think that that's because it's been so ignored and neglected from the Jehovah's Witnesses that I think it, it's made an impression on Constellation. So, like, I don't blame one bit. But I, I honestly don't know the answer to this. Yeah. Disturbances in fields that propagate as waves. I don't even know what that means. I know it has something to do with like quantum physics, probably, or some sort of, uh, you know, at the at the atomic level, what's going on in reality. I, I think that's right. what you're getting at. But I, you're asking, you're asking, are they waves? No idea. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even give an answer of like what I thought of like a, like if you ask me some something about the ancient Greeks or like something about orphism, I can at least give you my opinion, even if it's not from a scholarly um from a position of like authority i can just like guess i can i can throw i can give you an, an answer that's like le- something but this right. i don't know nothing about it, this and now i could call some people yeah I in could call fact, i could probably hit up like lawrence kraus or Shermer might know but i know lawrence kraus is a theoretical physicist he should know um and i imagine adair is aware in fact do i need to do you adair dare me smart, do you dare me to call adair call him right now See if he answers. Let's see if we can right, get live, live response. Put him on the spot. I'm going to put him on the spot. We're doing this. Everybody, we're doing this together. <laughs> Let's see what happens here. Hello. Hey, Dr. Adair. I'm on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and they asked me if I wanted to call a friend. So I used my call a friend option. Do you have a spare 30 seconds? Yes, I do. Here's the question. And it's uh, the million dollar question, in fact. So this is uh, okay. all up to you. I'll have to split it with you if we win. What... Okay, hard pressure, hard pressure. Okay, okay, let's go. Let's Here go. we go. What are these things called? Particles? Disturbances in fields that propagate as waves. Are they waves? And then on... Hold on. Heisenberg uncertainty principle? Really? Question mark. 
All right, so in quantum field theory, you can have um, oscillations in there. They don't necessarily become particles. The oscillation basically has to become large enough and energetic enough to actually then substantiate itself as a particle. So if you look at, like, say, the rest mass energy of an electron, you have to have at least that much energy for an electron to pop out. And actually even more than that, because of the process, you get an electron and a uh, positron, the antimatter forms. You need twice that much. But those are details. So uh, oscillations in the uh, quantum field, yes, particle, not necessary. Uh, you said something about the Heisenberg uncertainty uh, principle, and I think the question was, really? <laughs> yeah. What was the question? <laughs> yeah, it's just... It was. It, it was. Uh, you should get Dr. Adair on one day and look into it. Heisenberg uncertainty principle? Question mark. Really? Oh, question yeah, mark. Yeah. Question mark. That's that's totally mainstream uh, modern physics. Totally mainstream. And, uh, it's um and the basic things about the uncertainty principle is that the combination of trying to know the position and momentum of a particle, how fast it's moving and where it's located, the more you try to accurately measure one, the more uncertain you become about the other. Uh, this is a, an effect due to the um, uh, due to quantum mechanics. Well, uh, did we win? Did we win? So you mean to tell me that those guys who talk about... You. Oh, oh, let, me, let, me, let me fix the audio so you can actually hear. Ready? All right, go ahead. So you mean to tell me that those people who made that documentary about Saturn and Saturn and Jupiter, Sorry, actually, you can't hear me. Okay. Turning up the volume. Go ahead. So you mean to tell me that those guys who put up that documentary about Saturn and Jupiter being in the sky and everyone can see it, electromagnetic energy, that's false then? That is worse than false. That is um, <laughs> at best a hallucination by someone who just wants old ancient texts to fit their ayahuasca trips because what, hey, what is that called again what's that theory called again what's the theory called oh, again oh electric universe electric universe yes wow yes. yeah i love it oh yeah it, it yeah. looks like I, you're getting a half a million dollars coming soon for that correct answer uh dr adair all right i am going to tell the wife and we are going on all the vacations <laughs> <laughs> hey we got to connect again we got to do a show soon Absolutely. I, uh, there are things coming around um, out of this world that we need to talk about. Literally out of this world. Aliens, correct? Exactly, yes. I can't wait. Okay, well, man, thank you so much for taking my call. And you are live on Gnostic Informant right now, just so you know. All right, all right. Uh, and uh, shout out to Neil. You're doing good stuff here. Uh, waiting for the next episode. <laughs> nice. Thank you thank so you. much, brother. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Wow, what a smart guy! Heck yeah, he is. You know, I when I it's funny that he brought up the uh, well, I brought it up actually, but I just wanted because I when I left religion, the let my one of the last stands for me was that electric universe theory because it's so, it was so appealing to someone like me because it it takes mythology and it tries to say. All that stuff, Saturn deposing Jupiter or Jupiter deposing Saturn, that was an event that happened in the sky. The ancients saw it. It literally happened. And it was like, this is electromagnetic waves in the sky causing certain uh, symbols to appear. And the ancients right. wrote it down on rock on rock art. And I remember being so amazed by this stuff. And then I met Aaron Adair. And then I met, other, and then I met uh, what's the other guy's name? Um, he does a channel. He debunks it. I met him too. A few people I met, and they I, they explain how how this is just so fringe.
It's the most like this You're is talking about the uh, the uh, Professor Dave. Professor Dave, yeah. yeah. But this thing that the reason why they got me is because these people actually did have PhDs in certain scientific fields, right? right. But they were just going way over their heads. I mean, it was like Bible scholars trying to be classicists. It was like they were going in other fields that weren't theirs and just making shit up. You yeah. know what I mean? So or was, Bible scholars becoming or any, apologists any, yeah, and then any, acting like they know the Bible so well. Yeah, and I just use those. Whatever. I'm not. I'm not picking on Bible scholars. I'm just any certain field jumping over to another field, and they were doing all these like huge theories on all these different. Uh, they were just like way out of their 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 range. Yeah. Yeah, and so that sounds about they, right. they pointed that out to me. I was like, yeah, okay. Cause there was like, <laughs> someone has a PhD. They can really make you think something's true and it's not. Right. I agree. You know, that's true. Usual. Thank you for the super sticker. I appreciate you very, very much. Very, very much. Thank Crump you. Lucifer says, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, Dr. Adair really is. Um, I met him in person and we actually went to the museum over there in Boston and it was, he is such a cool down to earth guy, like really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Dr. Cheryl, thanks for the comment. How do the gods of the Greco Roman world compare to the gods of other cultures, Egyptian gods and Hindu gods? That'd be just now I call Karakuni. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as a, as an amateur, as someone who's not going to be, I could be wrong, but if I had to just, if you forced me to guess, I would say that there are etymologies that do these some like so the Hindu gods, for example, you do have this Deus Patara character, you have Jupiter, and their etymologies are from a common ancestor. I've been told this by multiple different scholars. Um, you also have in the Egyptian religion the pantheons, and a lot of the a lot of the Greek writers like Diodorus, Plutarch. And on Isis and Osiris, really, really talks about this. Comment on how the Greeks are actually taking Egyptian gods and borrowing mm. a lot of that stuff into their stories. So you have a lot of com. So th my answer to this question is: there's tons of overlap. Yeah. Also, they're different. They're not all exactly the same. In the Egyptian world, there's different things than the Greek world, and in the in the Hindu world, and there's you know. They're all different. Of course, they're different. But there's also a lot of overlap. And I love that stuff. I love reading about that overlap. I love finding out Serapis, Dionysus, and, you know, those are Egyptian in origin, at least. It seems that they're, they co-opted. Yeah. But it, it would be cool if we could have, like, a panel. If we had, like, Eastern PhD coming at this, not from necessarily, like, a, a religious background, but, like, like they themselves are just scholars in the field and they're coming from, you know, Hindu, uh, the Vedic or Hindu traditions and the gods as far back as you can go. Egyptian with like Karakuni or whoever might be that can be the spokesperson and then have the Greek and Roman uh, pantheon and then literally have them like compare the narratives and discuss like the religious practices associated and whatnot. And then everyone listening going, what? The? That would be a cool conversation to see. Absolutely. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So I think that's it for super chats. Um, I wanted to what I wanted to ask you something about something we were talking about earlier. Can't remember what it was. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. With so, what do you think? People who are critical, atheists, for example, mm -hmm. 
who and there's someone in the comments had a really good point i can't remember where it was about the uh this how some of these ideas can be harmful in society of course they can be degrading to people who are of certain backgrounds or certain genders or certain mm -hmm. races we acknowledge that and we're trying to combat that stuff but how do you balance it out with the idea of people who just want to have some sort of comfort and knowing that they're they and their family are going to be taken care of and entered how do you how do you walk that line of being critical but also not being like rude to people who just believe in something yeah it's so i i, I have christians who legitimately are believers who financially even are on the patreon who support me and they say man you're doing god's work i said this like the past couple of days i'm not even kidding you they message me this stuff keep it up um and they're not conservative in the sense that and when i use that term i'm not speaking politically necessarily i'm saying their religious dogma is not strict it is not um literalist it is not fundamentalist that's what i mean when i use the term conservative in this uh context but when they're like, hey, yeah, 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 I do believe Jesus, but like, hey, I, I just, that's my own faith and it gives me purpose and meaning and it helps guide me and it's an instruction for me on how I love my family, blah, blah, blah. I have no, be I don't even go out of my way to like, my, my target when I'm being critical isn't those people. They can learn from what I'm saying, accept it, but since they're obviously not dogmatist, what I'm saying doesn't even offend them. Because they're like, well, I disagree at the end of the day with that. Cool. And it doesn't hurt their feelings. But if you're a dogmatist and you're taking this to the bank, I'll give you an example of a harmful thing that has come up and why we do well, why I do what I do. And you do it too, but you also do things I don't do um, in areas ex exploring things that I don't do with myth vision. I was watching a, um, a YouTube video by Soft White Underbelly. You ever heard of them? Yes. Massive YouTube channel. The yeah. guy like interviews people who suffer from addiction prostitutes pimps like extremists in various ways and one of them was a klu klux klan member wow. with a purple robe on and he had the pointed hat he wore the outfit during the interview and he's sitting oh, there shit. i'm not kidding you this guy's full-blown right the, one of the interesting things was he was asked are you a racist and he said no you think i'm a bigot no i'm just proud of my own race now get this a Ku Klux Klan member will not admit he's racist. So that tells you when people say they're not yeah, racist, yeah, you, you, you cannot take their word for yeah. it. Yeah, you have to really be it's like about behavior. It's not about like, oh, I, I said it, so it's true. It's, it's like your your behavior speaks it. Right. right. Yeah. Well, it gets deeper because he tells about what happened and how he became one. He was at Walmart somewhere in the south. And he was shopping and some other country guy just walked up to another white guy, you know, hanging out, just talking. Hey, brother, would you like to come out to our barbecue? Um, we'd love to invite you here. And he hands him a pamphlet, just walks up to this white guy, hands him a pamphlet, an invitation to come to their get together, their family get together. Um, and they were having church service. He decided to go. He went. They were having church service and the pastor was preaching at this Ku Klux Klan rally on the weekend preaching from the hebrew bible about the seed and how you are supposed to be with your own kind he was using the bible right. to show that israelites do not need to intermix and they do not to go after foreign gods and 
he said, because he, he was already a Christian and he was already someone who had gone to church. And he said, I have never in my life ever heard a pastor ever preach from this place in scripture. And it was so compelling based on what I was seeing in the text, because I was like, this is not in our Bible, is it? He found it in the Bible, and it made him so convinced as already a believer in the Word of God that he ended up going, why are we not being told the truth about the Bible? This is taught in our Bibles, and Christians are ignoring the context, yada, yada, yada. So he become became a Ku Klux Klan member realizing that the white man and the white race needs to be with it. Like there's all sorts of problems with that alone, but you see what I'm trying to get at. Like it can be used and weaponized and it is, it is. Yeah. And so what we're doing is think about, think about the, the curse of ham. That's the stuff that you, how people use that shit. Yep. Yeah. That's unforgettable. Like, sorry. Like that is just not you. That's not, that's not cool. man. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's I guess the Bible says it, so we have to follow it. Like, yeah, no, you you want to follow it. That's a, <laughs> you. You want that to be the. That's how you interpret that shit. Like you know what I mean? Right, right, right. But but yeah, it, it, I guess the the conviction of the message really caught his attention, and somehow he was convinced and became literally the dude moved up in the ranks because he's wearing a purple robe on the dang video, and he was explain. I think he had like a, a can of dip. You know, he put tobacco in his lip and all i think it, during the interview so anyway it was just wild bro to watch but yeah where we want where is the kook where does the kkk come from uh, it's um i don't know the origin history but i do know that it has its roots in the south um that's for sure so, so this is history.com so look it up this is i think this is something we should just look at real quick this is interesting do you want to share your screen yeah you see it Yep. Okay. Founded in 1865, the KKK extended into almost every southern state by 1870. Yeah. It became a vehicle for white southern resistance to Republican <laughs> Republican parties. At that time, yeah. Yeah, that back then the Republican Party was up in the north. It was uh right. it was it, yeah, there was like a slow change over time. Anyways, Reconstruction era policies aimed at establishing political and economic equality for black Americans. Its members waged an underground campaign of intimidation and violence directed at white and black Republican leaders. Though Congress passed legislation during the designed to curb Klan terrorism, the organization saw its primary goal reestablishment of white supremacy fulfilled the Democratic victories in the state legislature across the South. Mm-hmm. So, 1865, it's smack dab in the middle of the Civil War. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's mind blowing, dude. That dude looks like Hitler right there, <laughs> dude. That's just a wild. What a, our history is dark, dude. I'm sorry, it's dark. Pretty rough, bro. It's very dark. But uh, anyways, the Owl Psych, thank you for the super chat. Too many coincidences. The spirit world is real. I feel sorry for people who haven't experienced it. Ooh. Thank you for that super chat. I really appreciate it. Um. The way I would answer this is I've experienced a lot of stuff. And I thought that was the spirit world. Me too. Yeah. And now I now, now with my position that I hold and not denying those experiences, those experiences are real, but they don't draw me to saying this is evidence of the spiritual world. But that's after when I was getting close to dying from heroin, I started to look into the brain and know why am I suffering with addiction? How come I can't beat this? What's wrong with me? Because I thought I was insane. 
and it was more of natural sciences of ex exploring the brain, exploring the phenomena of us, finding out more about our evolution, all of that, and actually realizing evolution's true because I didn't believe that was true either at the time. All of that started leading me down the path of like spiritual. What is that? And and uh, what does it mean by spirit? Is the the spirit world is real? If what we mean is our experiences, we feel our real experiences, and that I'm saying is the spirit world, then I'll, I guess it'd be synonymous with saying my experiences were real, therefore I call that spiritual. But if that's if you're saying there's another dimension or realm, and that somehow um, is proven through my experiences, I'd be very careful because I've seen things even when I was on ecstasy or other substances and stuff, um, or even felt like something was going on even when I wasn't on substances, things like that, and thought, this is evidence of the spiritual. But at this point now, I realized, okay, I was hallucinating on the substances I was taking. And in other situations, the brain is a powerful, powerful yeah. tool. Yeah, so, DM, DMT is intense, dude. And if anyone who's experienced that is, will say, you can understand why someone would conclude that this is some sort of spiritual world. However, remember, it's only because you took DMT that you got there. There is the, there is that. Aspect. You don't have to even take a substance though to hallucinate into experience. Some people, some people do. Some people do. Uh, yeah, right. Dodging. But but you're you talking about DMT? I have never done it. I have done other things. I have done mushrooms and things like that. I've done things, but I've I've always been terrified listening to people tell the their story about what happened when they did DMT. It freaks me the well, hell the out. Greek, so the Greeks when they took this kaikian stuff, and I'm, I'm not saying this is DMT, but right the experience that they discover that they describe is very similar in the sense that it's life changing, mm -hmm. and people after they experience it, it's, this is a common, um, a common response is they no longer fear death right. so they would go and they would get initiated and then they would experience something that changed them forever and they would no longer and they were saved it was salvation right <laughs> literally they were saved yeah. and so and, and there's actually a story of a of a guy who was sent by the king of india to bring presents to augustus i think it's in like 12 ad or something 12 bc or something whatever who knows and so they sent all these delegates out there. Some of them didn't even make it all the way there. Some of them died. A few of them make it there. They bring them tigers and, and vipers and uh, myrrh and frankincense and all these golds and stuff. And uh, the one dude was one. He knew how famous the Eleusinian mysteries were. They knew about it in India. That's, right. how, that's how famous Demeter and Bacchus was. And they were like. We need. I want to get initiated in the in the Illusory Mysteries, and it was off season. You only go there. There's only two times a year where you can get initiated, and there was it was out of season. But Augustus is Augustus, and he said, "All right, I'll make it happen." He's like, already been initiated, but I'll do it again. So they went to Athens, and they went to the priest, and went to Illusorium. You know, they opened it up. This guy got initiated, according to. Um, Nicholas of Damascus, who's the main source on this, he immediately jumped into a fire and killed himself after. He was his, his time on Earth was done. He was complete. <laughs> That's what he saw. Whatever happened, who knows what happened? Right, right. But he, the experience that he had was so life changing that he killed himself. He jumped into a fire, killed himself. It's crazy. 
So I don't know. Wow. There are, there are people who I can that and that's I was just touching on what else like is saying that people experience it's experiencing it. It's not you can't right. convince somebody. And that's that's a lot a lot of the stuff that people talk about when they're like, um, you know, why why are you why do you believe in this religion? Well, I had an experience. Yeah. That's it. That's what it comes down to. You know? Well, it, it the one that's how I have a hard time with the people who say, "Oh, I've never had an experience, but I believe it." And I'm like, "Why? You read an <laughs> ancient book? Come on, man! At least yeah. I have respect. I really have a lot more respect for the person who's like, I cannot explain my experiences, even if I think they're appropriating that experience to something that isn't necessarily the driving force of that experience. But I respect it more than I read an ancient book, and if you're stupid." If you're that dumb, you can't just read the Gospels and Mark and Matthew and Luke and and Paul's letters and know it's true. Then something's wrong with you. And it's like there's it's almost like a slap of disrespect for how dumb people are when an apologist is making the assumption that anyone who reads it knows it's true. Uh, you just got to read it. And it's like you mean to tell me you don't have a subjective experience of some sort that somehow is confirming this to you? And if you're not having that, why do you believe it? It makes no sense to me. I can't relate to that narrative, but it, it really makes me question, right? But yeah. Um, and, and another thing, imagine, Neil, if I said, hey, can you explain your experience of um, golden cap mushrooms? Explain what that felt like and what that was like, or explain what rolling on ecstasy feels like. I'll try to use some adjectives to describe this thing, but like you... I. I will only insufficiently try and you will never be able to know what it's like until you have experienced it. And so that is the reality. But those experiences that I had when I was in the faith, um, they're real experiences, but I, I attribute them to something different today, more in a natural way rather than a different dimension or realm or something like that. So anyway. Yeah. So I just wanted to, um, cause I know someone, someone in the chat's going to want it. I always get this. What, what person were you talking about? His name was Zarmarsis. I think it is. Hold on a second. Let me find it. I want, I really by want the way, little plug, Immortality Key by uh, Brian Metodescu. He wrote on this and goes into, there's an audio book of it as well, but he goes into the psychedelics in the ancient world and how their fear of death went away after they would take these initiation uh, substances and or whatever the substance was during the time. No more fear of death. Oh, I found it. Okay, cool. I get to show people what I'm talking about so they don't think I'm making shit up. I always try to at least show people what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just so they're not like, what the hell kind of story are you making up? So here it is right here. This guy's name is Zarman. Zarmano Chegas. Hope I said that right. So he's... uh. Strabo, Cassius Dio, and Nicholas Damascus. We have three sources for this story. So it's well, well cited. Pandian mission. Nicholas Damascus describes an embassy sent by the Indian king Porus to Caesar Augustus. They, the embassy traveled with a diplomatic leader on parchment in Greek. One of its members, Sermana, burned himself alive in Athens to demonstrate his faith. Mm. Nicholas Damascus met the embassy at Antioch. The monk's self-immolation made a sensation at was quoted by Strabo. His tomb indicated he came from Barizaga, which is now Baruch city of Gujarat, near the uh, north bank of Narmada. Hmm. And it says that, this is what Strabo says, 
to these accounts, maybe at Nicholas Damascus, the writer states that at Antioch, your Daphne, he met with ambassadors from the Indians who were sent to Augustus. It appeared from the letter several persons were mentioned. Only three survived. He says the rest had died chiefly in consequence of the length of the journey. The letter was written in Greek upon a skin. The import was of it was that Porus was the writer that although he was sovereign of 600 kings, yet that he highly esteemed the friendship of Caesar. Uh, that he was willing to allow him a passage through his country in whatever part he pleased and to assist him in any undertaking that was just eight naked servants with girdles around their waist and fragment perfumes presented the gifts which were brought. These presents were a Hermes born without arms, whom I have seen large snakes, a serpent, 10 cubits high, a river tortoise, three cubits high. They were accompanied by then a person, it said, who burnt himself at to death at Athens. This is the practice with the persons in distress who seek escape from existing calamities and with others prosperous circumstances, as was the case with this man. Yeah, for everything hitherto yeah. had succeeded with him. So you're right. He had fulfilled everything. And then he's like, I'm done. Yeah. Done with this crap. Peace out, guys. I'm going to burn myself. I'll be right back. Oh, this is it right here. Uh, based on a different way, Strabo renders. Modern scholars attempted to interpret Strabo's vision of a combination of two words, interpretation, the Eleusinian mysteries, whereas, uh, where does it say that the Eleusinian? Yeah, you know, whatever. Oh, here it is. Here it is. So Dio, Zarmaris, for some reason, wished to die. Of because the cast of sages, he was on his account moved by his ambition or in accordance with the traditional cost of the Indians because of old age, because he wished to make a display for the benefit of Augustus and the Athenians. He was therefore initiated into the mysteries of the two goddesses, Demeter and Persephone, which were let, held out of season on account, they say, of Augustus, who was also an initiate. And he then threw himself into the fire. Cassius Dio. Huh. That's that's wild, man. I'm telling you, the Eleusinian mysteries were, were the real deal. They were the real deal. So, um, yeah, I hope that was interesting for some people. Absolutely. Anyways, thank you for that super chat, yo, psych. Usual is back. Thank you for that. Judean propaganda can be used to other anyone. 2,000 years later. So crazy. That's true. Absolutely. That is very true. And, yeah. I mean, I think mean, about it, it. I mean, where where is where does a lot of these prob a lot of problems come from the idea of like the like it's like you know my religion said so so I have to. It's have because to this religion is still alive in some form, and it, and they're still using those sources. So well, the history comes from. If you want to know, like, so this is the thing: people reinterpret and interpretation changes. But if we if we were still using Athenian literature today like people believed in the athenian deities and it was a practiced religion there's xenophobia like big time xenophobic stuff going on in athenian literature if you go look it up they are a chosen race like there's a lot of specific very chosenness about the athenians if we were using that and then others tried to kind of reinterpret it over time but others fundamentalists get back to what the meaning may have said and how it was very not what we want to practice ethically, morally, or even politically, socially, et cetera. Um, you could see why there's all this othering that keeps taking place. Because even if the fangs off of a certain interpretation go away, there's still the us versus them mentality. We find this with the the 
the heresiologists look at how they are toward the orthodox or the uh, the heretics if you will the gnostics and the way that they categorize them or you name it heathen gets used for those who are non-christians but it was goyim uh and uh, oftentimes that was actually meant derogatory uh so you see that with uh jews who would say prayers and it was rabbi uh, akiva during uh like the Bar Kokhba, just after Bar Kokhba, we have an account where one of his students said uh, a prayer. It's written, says, God, I thank you I was not born a woman. Here's a guy praying saying, thank you I was not born a woman and I was not born a goy. So he's thanking God that he is not less than in their and mind. You and I have been to Israel. Oh, yeah. Remember what happened at the wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Women have to go to the small section on the right. Divided from the men, men have like the whole under the bridge, and, and you all go of that. inside. And in this world, they keep all the Torahs. You can go in there and read the books. On right. the, there's this little tiny section, and it's outside. There's no there's no Torahs over there. It's just a little section. Well, I didn't see over there if there were, but I didn't. I, I no, I, there wasn't. I looked. I was I was looking. I was did you? I was looking to see what was over there. Well, I can tell you, remember the women all on tables. the fence. There were some tables. There was it. They're watching the kids. To, it was for them to sit down and just chill. Yeah. You remember the the during their uh, bar mitzvah, they're like all the women are on this side. They cannot come to the they're, side they're with their kids. They're all over the fence and looking. And they're all watching their yeah. kids. How is that, how, what's going on over there? I'm like, this is. Yeah, yeah. That's but that's. But this that, is a problem in many societies. This, but this too. is the whole point of this discussion: is how do you balance out being critical, but also not being rude and, you know, other, yeah. you know, and like. Being anti-Semitic yeah, and being xenophobic. That's all real stuff. Like which comes That's why you be careful. That's why you tiptoe. That's why when people go, quit being so like, no, dude. Like, like grow, grow a heart and try to be more empathetic and understand that most Jews, for example, are not even religious. Right. So, yes, there are bigoted people in Jewish communities and in all sorts of communities, but that's why you try to be even-handed. And if all you do and you know who I'm talking about, Neil. If all you do is focus on Jews and their practices only, you might be like, anti-Semitic. You might like hate Jewish people or something. Like, like dude, yeah. It's, come on, man. Right, especially when it's gets, when you get so conspiracy about it. Yeah, yeah. It's just I don't know. I don't know. That's a whole other topic for another day. I'll, I'll definitely, I'm definitely planning on tackling some of that stuff in my channel. Right. That because people can get way too extreme about it. And, and not even just anti-Semitism, the xenophobia too. Because there's a lot of there's a ton, there's millions of Muslims in the world who aren't fundamentalists. Right. For some reason, Islam gets the worst rap about like if someone's a Muslim, it's like, oh, are they going to be a terrorist? Like they get that's that's a real thing too. Right. And a lot of people exactly. are, just grew up this way. My family, this is my for generations. My whole family's been Muslim. You know, and now I'm a Muslim too, like because of my tradition. Like, what are you gonna? How are you gonna knock that? You know, I I, there, I had an experience because my dad was over there during the war after 9/11, and you know he came back with stories and came back with kind of bad perceptions of people in the Middle East uh, from that kind of experience. And right. um, I remember I got reached out to by a mother. I didn't know these people. I mean, like I put my information out there to help drug addicts who struggle with addiction. And this mom called me and I picked up, I don't know why and how she got my number. She, she somehow got my number. I pick up 
and she's just like the sweetest person I ever knew. Didn't know anything about the religion at all to begin with. She was begging me to help save her kid's life. And I'm like trying to help her find her, like get her son to a rehab, this and that. And finally, she did not give up. She reminded me of my mom. Well, eventually I travel up to New York, 14 hours from North Carolina, pick up her son from their house, drove him to my house, gave him a room in the house, fed the guy. We One night Ryan cooked pork and he was like, I'm so hungry. Just give it to me. Cause he wasn't very <laughs> religious. Okay. Like, so right? <laughs> yeah, he didn't care. He's like, dude, this is good. Um, but his family were Muslim and they treated me like I was their son. They loved me like, and so that it melted the hate or that, that kind of conception that kind of gets taught to you by your parents in a way. Uh, from their own experiences. So sure, you go to a war zone, you're going to see ugly. And when you see ugly, you're going to perceive ugly. And you might even attribute the ugly to certain people. Not every one of that people is like that. It's like fundamentalist in Christianity. Not all Christians are fundamentalist and not all Christians are bad or, or have this mean or very nasty view of scripture. And we have to compartmentalize if we're going to live in a world where we're trying to bridge those gaps. But we do want to confront the ugly, though. Anyway, we rambled on that one, man. But that was a story I oh, figured I'd tell you. That was interesting. Yeah, thank it you. It changed that. my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, exactly. It's experiences that can help do that. Super. Thank you, uh, Mnag, for the super sticker. Very much appreciated. Also, as well, got a couple more, and then we can. Uh, we've been doing this for a little while now, so we'll finish this thing up. Okay. Constellation Pegasus. Thank you for the super chat. Compared to what you can make the Bible say. Imagine the Hitler youth brainwashing. Yeah. Go get the Jews and fire up some of some people with an MG 42. Go get some. Well, I will say this a lot. And it's, and it's not, it's not mentioned enough. There's this, for some reason, Hitler's always described as like, he was bringing back Aryan paganism. Like, just read his own book, read his own. He's he's the cat. He says, I'm a devout Catholic. Just saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that like all Catholics should be condemned for that, but I'm saying like, yeah, he was he he was Catholic, like he wasn't he was using biblical, and he even says it in Mein Kampf. He says, you know, I'm doing Lord's work, and Jesus was the first person to to uh, to to confront the Jews. Like he's using religious Damn. biblical stuff to argue his points. Yeah, he does. He was critical of the Catholic Church too. He was talking about how there were. Why are they out in Africa helping that helping the poor when they should be helping us? Yeah, he. Like, it's just so dark, dude. That he was saying shit like that in Mein Kampf. Read Mein Kampf. You'll see right, it. It's all right, in right. there. He had a couple different ideas, of course. I'm sure, yeah. but I, but I he did identify with the, with Christians at least to some degree. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you can't hold everyone accountable in one religion of the actions of one person. Mm -hmm. But it is fair to point out that that person is a part of this particular worldview. You can point, it's fair to point that out. Like you can't just ignore yeah, it. But then the same thing, like they'll try to, the Christians that I hear will try to go look at the atheist communist of the world war two. And look at how many people died at the hand of people who didn't believe in God and things like that. Right. But is it, is it atheism that causes, is it atheism right, right. using as this, when you literally have passages 
saying Jesus was the first person to confront the Jews. Yeah, but the, where is he getting this? I mean, obviously, you see Jesus like literally Jesus going out. The Bible, so it's you're right, right, right. It's not, it's not like you don't you don't see like Stalin being like you know the first atheist of all time. He was the first person to do that. Like he's not there's, there's no like they're not get getting it. this from anywhere. It's just they just don't believe in God. It's just it's not the same. There's, I don't think there's a comparison there. No, I, I think when you're reading john's gospel for example the condemnation of the jews children of satan the whole nine if you're reading that and you really believe it you're going to run into some problems so i have a heart that's another problem with people who think that the the whole new testament was just invented and created by the jews uh to to like somehow manipulate goyim in order to come in it's like there's some big red flags that don't that don't speak that way to me yeah anyways thank you for that super chat Seeker says, do you guys, thank you for the super chat, do you guys see any parallels between Eastern Orthodox aerial toll houses and the Gnostic teaching on archons confronting the soul after death? I could see where the seekers get in that idea, the idea that that the the soul after death has to go and travel a certain path, almost like the, the Gnostic teaching of having to go in and confront and have the angels' names memorized to get to the next level and stuff. Um, obviously they're different, but there might be some common theme of the traveling of the soul. I mean, look in uh, ancient Osiris or ancient Egyptian mythology with having to take the journey on the river, right? You had to find the path to the underworld, like, and, and there's certain weighing stations of like your heart gets weighed and all this stuff if you're going to make it in. So maybe it's a kind of a common thing that people imagine having a journey to get to the destination. What do you think? <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not saying they're connected. I'm saying maybe it's like a common thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. I don't know. Um, Ariel, what is Ariel? What's the Soul Houses again? Look, hold on. If you go, go to look here. Share my share my screen. Look at mine. All right, so right here, right, aerial toll houses it says uh, during this journey, the soul passes through an aerial realm which is inhabited by wicked spirits. Ephesians six two, you know, the, the, it says that uh, he's the god of this world or the air. The soul encounters these demons at various points, referred to as toll houses, where the demon then attempt to accuse it of sin, and if possible, drag the soul into hell. A number of Eastern Orthodox saints, modern elders, and theologians have openly endorsed it, but some theologians and bishops have condemned it as heretical and Gnostic in origin. Aerial toll houses are part of the particular judgment. And the particular judgment, according to Christian eschatology, is the divine judgment that a departed person undergoes immediately after death in trance distinction to the general judgment of all people at the end of the world. Dude, the imagination is amazing. The most detailed account of aerial toll houses is found in the biography of Basil the Younger, found in the lives of saints of, for 26th of March. Anyway, toll houses. Yeah. There are 20 toll houses, though the number is not dogmatic and different sources listing varying numbers. On the first aerial toll house, the soul is questioned about the sins of the tongue. The remaining are in order. The toll houses of lies, slander, gluttony, laziness, theft, covetousness, usury, uh, injustice, envy, pride, anger, resembling evil, murder, magic, lust, adultery, sodomy, heresy. Dude, I'm going to hell. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, my gosh. 
Um, I just wanted to pull something up real quick. Here, I'm going to pop us back up anyway. I wanted to show what I was talking about, about this um, this verse from my – oh, let me just put this away. Thank you, Secret, for that super chat. Uh, can you see my screen at all? Yeah. Or is it small? Yeah, I don't know why yours does this narrow, narrow I might, be, it might be because of my screen. Um, anyways, it says right here. Where'd it go? Oh, here it is. Okay, down here. The clearest indication of what this religious education can produce is the Jew himself. This is from Hitler's Mein Kampf. His life is only concerned with this world, and his inner spirit is as foreign so true, foreign to true Christianity as his nature was 2,000 years ago, the great founder of the new teaching himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus made no secret of his feelings toward the Jewish people and even used the whip to drive his rival out of the Lord's temple. Even then, the Jewish religion was just a means to make money as a business. Oh, my God. Dude, this is the person who rose up as a political reader, a leader, and he's writing this? Mm-hmm. What was going on in Germany, dude? How would that slide? Like, look at this. Even, even, in, the, even, in, the, even in the Bible, they're all about making money as a business. Christ was nailed to the cross for his intolerance of the Jews. While our present Christ, Christian political parties lower themselves in elections by begging for Jewish votes. Wow. So what I'm saying? They're yeah. using this idea. It's us versus them mentality. And this yeah. is we see it in our politics today, too. But yeah, it's 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 a great tactic, especially if there is that mythology of the Aryan mythos in some way uh, that might help people think oh i gotta be true to my my kind my people we've learned a lot since then too even since that all took place yeah and then there's also this famous quote right here i am now as before a catholic and will always remain so now it is it is fair that he might be just playing politics here trying to keep the catholics on his side because he is very if you if you actually read Minecraft, he's very critical of the Catholics. Right. Saying that they're lowering themselves for the Jews. And why are they in Africa worrying about Africa? They should be worrying about us. Like shit like that. And so, anyways, I just wanted to bring that up. It's interesting because people use religion as a weapon. Yeah. And he was definitely doing that. So. Um, it's it's easy to do it. I mean, throughout. Yeah, it's very easy to do it. Let's see. Where's I think there's one more left. No, you got you got Bill here. Oh, you're looking at him before I am. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, but I'm so used to knowing how to navigate this thing. Bill, yeah. Bill, thank you, Bill. Bill says Jews never force people to convert in mass. That's true, and that is. I mean, I mean, I can't say that there weren't. I would just go with the yes. That's true because I I'm not saying there weren't wars that happened. Obviously, but they were their religion was their religion. Right. So they're not out here enforcing others to do it, especially not not a sword. Right. Pegasus is a good question. You were just talking about this. Yeah. So what segregation at the wall? I'm stumped at this. So, yeah, there's the women go off to the right. If you're facing the temple, the, the wall, the welling wall, which the temple mount is on top of that, where it would have been, where the temple would have stood. Um, this is actually the quarters where the Muslims uh, control um, the Jewish welling walls down below. And they have a little tiny wall that you can peek your head over for the women. But on that side over the right, if we're facing. So if we're facing my bookshelf, the women are over here 
and like imagine this imagine this little this little category from this red book right here over that's the women's section yeah the men's section goes like way over over yeah you probably have an image to show well, no, this is this is an article from 2016 because okay so can you see my my mouse right now yeah there's where the walls divided this this there's a right here is where the walls this is the divider the women's the women's is on the other side of this no 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 that's that that's that that's that walkway up to where they oh no you. it's right here yes okay yes. okay there it is you're right you're right see that's where the chairs are so this is the women's side right here the men's side is over here but back here they made a little section men and women can be together in oh okay just in one little side but that just happened in 2016 okay i didn't even notice anybody in that section. no there was dude. no one there because when we went there it was like so, so pointless my wife not, is super not, uncomfortable not at the wall it's not at the wall it's behind it's way look how far back they are yeah they're like <laughs> we got a well but, from a distance and that's why i wanted to show this article is because like there's two sides men's side over here the big one and the women's side over here the small one yeah and there's this little section where they're allowed to be together i don't know ryan didn't like that because she, no, she, she loves really she wants to experience that. things with me yeah and she wasn't able to go down to the wall with me and i went down a few times and she vocalized that i still have that recording somewhere so at some point i'll probably yeah, we're gonna that up. pick that up yeah thank you um, constellation so yeah thank you for that and then i think we have we'll see what we got one more right something like that or is that it you got one right here bill thank bill you bill again. is that the same bill uh i believe so if not um, thank you for the, another super sticker i appreciate it reformed and this is what they said reformed jews don't segregate the sexes but most u.s masjids do and this is the thing about reformed jews that i love in fact yeah. this is why when i go and interview with justin sledge and you do too he calls out the nonsense in his own community yeah you know and that's a powerful thing it's good to have people who do that so um, you do have one more. Oh, by that. the way, about Justin Sledge, he what he's doing is so important yes. because he's he's bringing he's bringing you scholarly information about religions, and he's giving you the tools to build your own religious mindset, religious path. He's giving you the tools to like decide how to do religion in a in a ancient like the, the real way that the ancients were doing like he's giving you the real knowledge of this stuff but he's also saying like look there's different there's different ways to do this stuff like here's what these people thought here's what these people thought here's what the Gnostics thought here's the medieval th people, people in medieval times did this you're just get, getting so much knowledge from him that he's 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 opening opening things up so it's not <laughs> it's not just fundamentalism or atheism anymore right there's right, things right. in between now that's yeah. why i love justin that's why i love his channel Esoteric. it needs to be i think he's setting a good example really yeah, good example exactly exactly seeker seeker 206 thank you for answering good sirs yes thank you for that and uh that's it that's the last super chat um yeah thank you mojo Derek myth vision podcast links in the description last thing i want to say is that the link is in the description for the mimesis and um Hope you guys check that out. Please do. That's it's I want to hear people's thoughts about it. I think that you're going to watch it and at least become convinced that some of the examples are just too much to not think something's going on. That's my thoughts. And Dr. Matthew Munger, who I interviewed earlier today, 
he said, I am a believer in it. Like he, he's convinced that Dennis is right. Not all of Dennis's examples, but he is sold that Dennis is on to something for sure. Yeah, especially a good chunk of them. But anyways, that's all for today. And you have just attained true gnosis. You have just attained true gnosis. Oh.